to Informed and Inflamed, where we seek to inform our minds with truth in order to inflame our hearts with love for God and neighbor. I'm Brad Owens, and I'm excited that you're joining me today for another episode. Jack acronym as we unpack God's big story together. And today we come to our second C in Cracker. Remember, Cracker summarizes the Old Testament and Jack summarizes the New Testament. But our C phrase in this episode is covenant with Moses and Israel. Now there is a lot of foundational, super important stuff that happens in the book of Exodus. And I came across this really helpful breakdown of the book of Exodus a while back. I don't remember where it was, but it provides a helpful lens through which to read the book and to remember some of the most important things in it. So here it is. Exodus 1 through 18 tells us about the God who delivers. This is about the Exodus, and the Exodus was the redemptive event of the Old Testament. Exodus 19 through 24 tells us about the God who demands. This is where the law is given. We find the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. These are the rules that flow out of relationship with God. And then in Exodus 25 through 40, those chapters tell us about the God who draws near. And there we see the construction of the tabernacle and God's presence with his people. So the God who delivers, the God who demands, and the God who draws near. That is, in a nutshell, the book of Exodus. So again, this book outline provides a very helpful grid through which to approach reading the book of Exodus and to see the overall flow of the book and its big themes. Another helpful way to think through this book's major themes is with the categories of love and law or relationship and rules. These are certainly not separate categories since God's law is an expression of his love, but they are nevertheless helpful distinctions. In the middle of the book of Exodus, God lays down his law, his rules for how to live life well in his world. The rules themselves are an expression of the relationship God has established between himself and his people. And we see this in so many ordinary ways in life. For example, when my girls want to ride their bikes in the driveway, Anna and I tell them they're not to go past a certain point because it gets too close to the road. We don't establish this boundary line or make this rule just because we want to restrict the amount of fun they could have. No, we place a restriction on how far they are to go because we love them and we want to keep them safe. They may think playing in the road will be a super fun experience, but we know better than they do. We know the danger involved. So we lay down this rule for their protection. And God does the same thing with us when he gives us his rules for how to live in his world for example, just take sexuality. You know, this is a good one to think through because our surrounding culture has such a big problem with the sexual ethic God gives to us in his word. And the cultural air that we breathe every day affects us too. The world has a hard time understanding why God tells us to say no to pornography and self-gratification or any sort of sexual activity before or outside of marriage. The world also doesn't like God's definition of marriage being a lifelong covenant between one man and one woman. The world has two problems, really, with that definition. First, that it's designed by God to be a lifelong union, 
Instead, our culture tells us that we should be able to dissolve our marriages if we're not happy and being truly fulfilled. Because we have deified the self and made it God, if anything gets in the way of making ourselves happy, we quickly abandon it. And the second thing our culture has a big problem with when it comes to God's definition of marriage is that it's between one man and one woman. And yet both of these things, the lifelong commitment God intended for marriage and the fact that God said marriage is to be between one man and one woman, both of these things are expressions of God's goodness and his care for us. It comes down to who we are going to trust, man or God. God's goodness stands behind all of his guidance. Deuteronomy 10 verses 12 and 13 say this clearly. Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 13 says this, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Here we see that God's kindness and care always stand behind his commands. Again, his law is an expression of his love. One thing that can confuse us when we look at how Scripture speaks of God's law, though, is that Scripture speaks of it in different ways, some positive and some negative. Back in New Testament times, there were not words that were equivalent to English words like legalism or legalistic. Instead, the New Testament writers just used the word law, and the context in which the word was used would determine whether or not they meant the law considered in itself as God's good and holy law or as a human distortion of that law, what we would call legalism today. So that just means we need to carefully consider the context and meaning of the word law when we come across it in the Bible. But going back to the distinction between love and law or relationship and rules, one thing I did with the students in our youth ministry was read a couple passages from Exodus and ask them the question, where do you see love and where do you see law in these verses? So see what you think as you hear me read Exodus 19 verses 4 through 6 and Exodus 20 verses 1 through 3. So in Exodus 19 verses 4 through 6, God says this to Moses, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Again, love and law are woven together because God's law is an expression of his love, but it highlights the love God has shown Israel when it says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. This refers back to the Exodus, which was the big salvation event in the story of the Old Testament. God's people in the Old Testament, although they looked forward to a coming Redeemer, they looked back to the Exodus, just as we do to the cross, to see God's saving power and loving faithfulness put on display in all its breathtaking beauty. Then verse 5 highlights God's law, or the rules that they must live by in relationship with him. So in verse 5, God says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. And now let's do Exodus 20, verses 1 through 3. These verses say, 
And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So Exodus 20 is where we find the Ten Commandments, which serve as a summary of the rules God wants his people to live by in how they worship him and how they treat each other. But these commands are prefaced by and couched in God's grace. Before the commands are listed, God reminds them in verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. With these words, God is reminding them of how he rescued and saved them. And the law is given to a saved people as a way to live under the blessing of relationship with God. It is a big misunderstanding of the covenant with Moses and Israel if we think that God gave his law to Israel as a way to say, hey, obey these commands and you'll earn salvation from me. No, that's not it at all. God had already displayed his grace and faithfulness to them by rescuing them from Egypt. And his law is a way to walk into the fullness of this glorious relationship that God has established with them. Obedience to God's commands does not earn his grace. It never does and it never can. Grace, by definition, is unearned and undeserved. Instead, obedience to God's commands is an expression of a heart that has already been transformed by his grace. Vaughn Roberts, he has a helpful summary of the purposes of the law in his book, God's Big Picture. In that book, he says, The law reveals God's standards, our sin, and the Savior. So the law reveals God's standards because his law, again, is an expression of his heart. The values that God's law protects and promotes are the most cherished values of God's heart. So the law is like a window through which we can see into the very heart of God. And the law also reveals our sin. As we hold our hearts and lives up to the law, we are humbled because we see how far short we fall for measuring up to God's perfect righteousness. As Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's Matthew 5, 48. God's law exposes the darkness in our hearts, showing us that we are without hope left to ourselves. But thankfully, the law also points us to the salvation God offers. So many things within the sacrificial system of the Old Testament show us glimpses and traces of the Savior to come. And the purpose of the law was to prepare God's people for the salvation that was coming. It was meant to help them recognize the Messiah when he came. All of these purposes of the law are aimed at the most glorious blessing we could ever receive, and that is the restoration of our relationship with God. I love the title of one of John Piper's books because it highlights this reality so well. It's called God is the Gospel. And in this book, he discusses how all the benefits of the gospel, things like justification and sanctification, are all blessings that pave the way for the ultimate blessing of relationship with God. Vaughn Roberts says it well, too. He says, the purpose of redemption is relationship. And that's how the book of Exodus ends. After the people of Israel construct this divinely designed tabernacle, God descends to dwell with his people. After being exiled from the garden, Adam and Eve realized how massive their loss truly was. They had lost the most joy-giving relationship they would ever enjoy because they turned in rebellion against him. 
And with hearts turned dark, they now needed God's grace to do a miracle inside of them. They needed this darkness to be healed, this corruption to be cleansed. They needed grace. And that's exactly what God offers to them. There are beautiful indications of this extension of grace sprinkled throughout God's big story in Scripture. And we see one of those big moments at the end of the book of Exodus. Having rescued his people from slavery in Egypt and having given them his law to guide their lives, he then tells them to construct a tabernacle so that he might come and live among them. At the very heart of all the covenants God establishes with his people in the Bible is this desire to be with his people, to enjoy fellowship with them. The gospel has this goal at its heart. In the words of 1 Peter 3.18, to bring us back to God. And the covenant relationship between the Lord and Israel in the Old Testament displays the relentless and unfailing love of God as he pursues his people in grace. The love and faithfulness God demonstrated throughout the Old Testament continues to be the way that he pursues us even today. God is the same yesterday and today and forever. What a comfort that reality is meant to be to our hearts. Well, that is it for this episode of Informed and Inflamed. Thanks so much for joining me, and I look forward to connecting with you again next time.